How do you tell a story? How do you tell a story? Now you're thinking, what what do you mean how do I tell a story? I just tell it how it was. No, you don't tell it how it was, right? Because some of us embellish it, right? Some of us um, give a lot of detail. Some of you give detail that nobody even really cares about. And there's others of you who just get to the point, right? Now, I had a friend. I have a friend where if he's telling a story, he's going to tell you every single detail that is involved in it, right? And so you have the ones that are important details and the ones that are not so important. And and you're thinking, okay, okay I really don't need to know that. I, I don't really want to know that. Okay, that has no bearing on where your story's going. And it's so funny is that um, when I was with his, you know, he would tell a story to his wife and I. And finally, here's what his wife said to him. His wife said, hey, honey, can you just get to the point? I was like, thank you, <laughs> right? Thank you. And and I don't know if you're the type of person if you want people to get to the point. But I do know this, that when you're telling a story and you are someone who wants to get to the point, two things you do. One is you have a lack of interest. So if they continue to go on, go on, you kind of look like you're not really paying attention. Or you give them body language, right? You give them body language that, okay, this needs to wrap up. And, and what people tend to do is sometimes people tend to kind of just move. Like they start to just kind of move in the opposite. And some people get the hint and some people don't get the hint. But it doesn't matter if you give a lot of, if you give a lot of detail or if you get a little detail. Here's what I know. If you get a lot of a detail and someone is a, is to the point person, you get frustrated with the way they tell the story because you want more, more details. If you're someone who is a get-to-the-point person and they tell a lot of details, you get frustrated because they're wasting your time, right? So I say all that to say it doesn't matter how you tell a story. Who cares how you tell it? What, what I do know is this, that it, you can have a lot of detail or you can have as little detail as you want. Um, but there's a, there's a, uh, when it comes to um, writing or journalism, there's a rule and there's an unwritten rule. Right? It's kind of this unwritten rule. And in journalism, there's this rule that says this, that you shouldn't bury the lead. You're like, what the what is the bury the lead? So bury the lead is this, is when you're writing a newspaper article, you're writing a blog, you're writing something, you want to put all your important information up in the front. And the reason why you want to put all your important information in the front is so you capture someone's attention. Right? And then all the lesser important details go down in the story. Well, burying the lead is putting all your unimportant stuff up above in your story, and then in the bottom, you put what is really important. So they say you bury the lead, you hide it under all this unimportant information that nobody really cares about. Well, so I, all that is today, I say that is this. Today I'm going to tell you up front what I'm going to talk about. So I'm not going to bury the lead. It's not going to go all the way down. I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of details. We're going to get straight to what we're going to talk about today, and this is it. Okay, the, the one thing for today is this, that God is not content with who you are or where you are. Like, well, wait a second. God's not content. No, no, no. Look, at God is more concerned about who you're becoming and where you're going. And what God wants to do is he wants to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. That's what God wants to do. So as we talk about that, we're going to unfold that today. But think about this. If, if God is not content with who you are and where you are, here's what the word is that God wants you to be transformed. 
That God wants you to be transformed. And what he wants to do is he wants to change you. Now, some of us, when you think change, you grimace. You don't like it. A lot of people don't like it. I don't know if anybody who open arms embraces change and says, okay, let's welcome change. Because when we talk about change, what is it? Change is painful. Change is, is painful because it, it messes with our comfortableness. It messes with our contentment. And it messes with our routines. And nobody really embraces change. But when it comes to change, and if we embrace change, what we want is we want change in others, and we want change in our situations, but we don't necessarily want it in us, do we? So if your job, and you want to change in your job, and your job's not going the right way, what do you do? You just say, well, I'm done with this job. I'm going to look for another job. It's not, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm not going to go through the pain of this job. Or what you do is you hope and pray that your manager changes so that your job will change. Correct? You just don't want all the pain of you changing. You want someone else to change. Now, not only is it your job, but think about this. It is in your homes. When your marriage isn't good, who do you want to change? Your spouse. Right? Because you don't have the problem. It's your spouse who has the problem. Right? And then if your house is like, and your kids are getting crazy, and life's getting out of control, and and your kids are just going berserk, what do you want? You want your kids to change. Right? Because you want your you, you want your house and you want your home back to functioning the way everybody else's does. But the reality is, is sometimes the change needs to happen in us. Sometimes our marriages would change, and sometimes our homes would change, and sometimes our jobs would change if we would just make adjustments ourselves. And see, God wants us to embrace change, and and God has this change for us, but here's the thing. It's not really wanted, is it? It's still unwanted. We know that maybe God wants to change, and we know we embrace that, but it's still a little bit unwanted, and here's why. Because when you say that God wants to change you, it's scary, and you get a little fearful. Because what if God asks me to change something that is too difficult for me to handle or too difficult for me to do, then what? That's a little scary. Or what if God asked me to change, but I don't want to change? Because after all, I'm comfortable with where I am and I'm comfortable with my life. And some of us, we're content. So when you say, God, you want to change my life, you talk about God being our lives being content. We don't want him to change our lives. We like it just the way it is. And we know in our head that God wants to change us and it's for the best, but we really have to change our mindset for us to get there. And then if you talk about change, the one issue I think for most of us is control. See, we don't like change because we're not in control. If God wants to change my life and change who I am and where I'm going, then ultimately I have to let him be in control. And see, we don't like that because, we, yeah, we'll embrace change and we're fine with change, but we want change when we want to bring it. We want it not too fast and not too slow. We want it on our timeline. And we want to be in control of the change. And for some of us, when we talk about God um, changing us, some of our personalities, it just doesn't sit that well, does it? But God knows our emotions. He knows all this stuff. And yet still, God wants to take you from where you are to where you want to, where he wants you to be. And if anybody knew about change, it was this guy named Paul. And you know Paul. We've talked about Paul. And 
And and Paul was a guy that was a, a man who was just kind of a, a total poster boy for transformation and change. Think about it. He is murdering the church. He goes murdering against the church and against God to being the mouthpiece for God and working for the church. And so he gets to this, this place where he begins to live a life that is full of transformation. If anybody knows about transformation, it's Paul. Because he lived it and he was a living example of it. So we get to this point with Paul. And if you know anything about Paul, he writes letters in the New Testament. And he writes all these letters to these churches. And today we're going to look at two letters. And they're really talking about this transformation that God has for you and what he has for me. And what he says is, is as he writes... He writes to the Corinthians and he writes to the Romans. Well, here's the problem. Unfortunately, Paul is not well received with the Corinthians. And the reason why is because he was seemed or or deemed weak. He was deemed weak by his divine power. And so they wanted a strong leader, a strong minister, a strong preacher, and they felt like he was weak. Well, he was they would say he's weak because he was with Christ and he had this relationship with Christ and so he has this identification with Jesus's death and his his burial and he has this relationship with Jesus and they thought well that just kind of made you a little bit weak you're kind of talking about this you changed and all this stuff and so to show his critics that his life isn't weak he began to talk about this Jesus. And he began to explain his relationship with Jesus, that God died for all. And when he died for all, he died for me. And that change brought about in my life, that I turned my life around from being a murderer to a mouthpiece. And as he got to turn that, he would say that, look, we all have to die in a, in a, in a sense. We have to die with God and we have to die for God. And they're like, whoa, wait a second, that's just not right. And he says, yeah, it is, because it's not a physical death that we have to die. It's a spiritual death that we have to die and we have to move forward. And so they, they, they're kind of confused, but as Paul does this, he says, look, the Lord God loves everybody, he wants everybody, and therefore he wants you in Christ. And as he writes to the Corinthians, he, he says that all of that, and then he comes to Corinthians, and you probably heard this, it's, it's a well-known verse, it's Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. And it says this in verse 17, it says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It has come, and the old has gone, and the new is here. Look at it emphatically. The old has gone, and the new is here. It's not, he doesn't say it, the old is gone, and the new is here. No, he's very emphatic with it. The new is here. And so, therefore, refers to all, all that he said, that God has basically died for everybody, and that if you put your faith in God, what happens is, is you identify with his death and resurrection. And when you do that, there's this mysterious thing that happens. That you be, can begin to be connected with Jesus. And he says, I don't know how to explain it, but there's this bond between you and be, bond between Jesus. And what happens is something new. And you become in Christ. And he explains this whole whole thing of in Christ. Now, he says, therefore, you're a new creation. And the, and the new creation is this, that you have a bond with Jesus. That the old way of doing things and your old self is no longer there. 
All right, so he, he, he says it is no longer there and that you are something new. So there's this, there's this transformation. Now, here's what I, what I, I, I kind of want you to, to see here. Is as he talks about the old, the old is the way you used to sin and the way you used to be without Jesus. So he says the old way that you used to live without Jesus and the habitual stuff that you used to do, that is no longer it comes. Right? What he says is there is something new and there is a bond and there's a devotion that comes to Jesus. And what happens is when you bond yourself with Jesus, the new cup happens because then you live out new actions and you live out new attitudes. So there's something of this newness that happens. So um, think about it in terms of this. All of us, if you have had a, have an encounter with Jesus, you can say this, that you remember exactly all the details of your life because it was so important and it was such a big deal. Do you know that Paul could tell his conversion and how he became to know Jesus in this transformation of being new, he knew all the details and he would tell all the Jews. Right? So he tells all the Jews all his details. Now, if I sat down with you today and we went out to lunch and I sat down with you and you talked about how you converted to Christ, I, you could tell me where you were, you could tell me how it happened, and you could tell me who led you to the Lord or what led you to the Lord. It is that important and it's that big of a deal. There is this separation of old and there's a separation of new. It is, it is big. It is a marker in your life. And it's so big, and it was so big for Paul's life that he shared it with people, but it's so big in our lives that, you know, there's some people who celebrate when they came to know Jesus. It is so big for them in their life. And so what they do is they believe that it is a spiritual birthday. So they celebrate their spiritual birthday along with their natural birthday. So it is a marker. And for some of us, that old is gone, that old way of doing things. And there's a definitive mark and a definitive thing where the new has come. And you can exactly point to where you were, when you were. It is that important. And see, so even though we have all this, this newness come and the old gone, what God wants to do is, is he's just not done it's not just, okay, well, the old is gone and the new's here and that's life and, and it, everything's good. It doesn't work like that. God is in the middle of a process. See, transformation isn't like, okay, I'm, I, I've re, re, just renewed my life to the Lord and I'm done and everything's fine and, and my life's great. No, there's a process that you have to go through. And God takes you through a process. The beginning of that process is that transformation of old to new. But then what happens is, is God wants to do something in your life, and it's called he wants to grow you. And see, Paul was about spiritual growth, but he wasn't about rushing it. So what he begins to do is in the book of Romans, he begins to write to the Romans, and he says that, that God is in a process, and here's what he wants, to, he wants you to do. So Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse... Uh, 11 it says this in the same way count yourselves dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus so count yourselves dead to sin now when he says count now there's this word it's it's greek and what it comes from there's two two things that this word kind of branches off in our english language one is it has to do with bookkeeping and profit and loss so when he says count 
He's talking about profit and loss, bookkeeping, and, and that stuff in the Greek. In the other part of the Greek, the word comes from the, 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 the word that we get, which is logic, because it's like logis, logosima. Okay, so that's kind of the word. So you have the profit and loss, so of this, right, count. And the other count, you have the word where we get logic, right? Not wishful thinking. So it, it's logical. So what Paul says is, I want you to logically count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So I want you to count, when, I, when he says count, there's no wishful thinking. It's not like, I hope you understand that you're supposed to be dead to sin. I hope you understand that you're supposed to do all these things, you know, in the newness of Christ and put the old away. I hope you really do that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's no wishful thinking. He's saying, look, count yourself dead to sin means you're not going back. And there's no way to go back to your old man. And don't even think about going back to your old man. Now, to put it in, in perspective in a in great illustration, here's what my friend said one time. And he said it right before, you know, and, and, and it got me thinking. But here's what he says. He goes, you know, the great thing about butterflies is this. That when butterflies transform from a caterpillar to a butterfly, they begin to fly. Then he says, all of a sudden, you know what the butterflies do? They just kind of go down into the dirt and they scoop up and they roll in the dirt around. And I looked at him and was like, what? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, think, think about this, Joe. Do butterflies go into the dirt? They don't, do they? I'm thinking, no. He goes, of course not. But he goes, Joe, here's what we do. God has freed us from our sin, and we're supposed to put all the old things away. And this butterfly transforms from the old to the new. And what does a butterfly do? He goes freely, and he, he moves and lives, and he's free. He doesn't go back to being a caterpillar. He doesn't go back to rolling in the dirt. And that's Paul's point. You were once a caterpillar, God has freed you to the new. You have lived in freedom and you live and breathe and move in God. So don't go back to rolling around in the dirt. He says there's a huge transformation. But what we like to do is we like to go back to the dirt, don't we? He says don't do that. Don't wishful think. Don't count. You count yourself dead to the dirt, dead to your sin, and fly and move and free the way God has created you and the way God has transformed your life. And then he goes to verse 12, and here's what he says. He says continually, as he talks about this transformation, he says, therefore, so therefore, anytime you see therefore in the Bible, it refers back to what someone just said. And so he says, therefore, in light of you being dead to your sin, in light of you being alive to God and not going back, he says, this is what I want you to do. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not let sin reign in your body. So in light of you not going back to the old way, sin is not to rule or reign in your mortal body. Right now, when we become a Christian, we know we still have failings, we still have shortcomings, we still have all that stuff. But he says, do not, it should not rule in your, in your body. And when he says reign, here's what he means. He means uncontrolled dominion of sin in your life. 
that there are things in your life that can control you and they're unchecked. There's unchecked dominion of sin in your life. Now, if we are, if we are honest with ourselves, we can say this, that there are flaws in our lives, there are sins in our lives, and there's weaknesses in our lives that are unchecked. And they're so unchecked that our sins and our flaws and our weaknesses tend to rule us, don't they? They tend to have dominion over our lives. That they freely get to do whatever they want when they want to do it in our lives. And we're not stopping them. He's saying, look, that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't reign in your life. And here's the good news. He says, it doesn't have to stay that way. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work and the Holy Spirit does the stuff and he transforms your life. Now, he, can, he, he says that the Holy Spirit is the one at work. And the Holy Spirit does the work. So the, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, look, the Holy Spirit is opposed to the sinful nature. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us. So when you become a, a Christian, the Lord deposits the Holy Spirit to be your helper, right? To guide you, to lead you, to direct you in this whole process so that you are alive to God. So you don't have to let sin reign and rule in your body. God has given us the Holy Spirit to transform us and to lead us into where he wants us to go. Now, after he says all that, he says, God has a part. And see, God's part is that he has transformed us and God has done this. And he would begin to relay this saying that you don't go back to where you are. You don't go back to the way things were, and you play a part as well, and I play a part in this whole process. And here's what he kind of gives us. He urges us to do something. And Paul would urge us in the next chapter, or the next verses, he would urge us that this is our part. And here's our part. He says this, do not offer any part of, your si- of yourself to sin as an instrument of weaknesses, wi- wickedness, excuse me. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. So let's go back to the first part. He says what? Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now just pause there. Now when you get this idea when he says offer, anytime you offer something in the, in the Bible, you get this idea of sacrifice or worship. So you're dedicating and you're offering something to God or you're offering it to false gods. That's just what they did. And so he says, don't offer any part of yourself. And what he's saying is, is any members of your body. So don't offer any members of your body, any parts of your body for sin. Because remember, you are dead to sin, you're alive to God. And when he talks about this idea of instrument, you know what instrument is? Is what they referred to back then? They referred to it as a military weapon. So don't use your body as a military weapon to do evil. But then when he says wickedness, here's what he meant. He meant when he says wickedness, that it's habitual sin that you once lived in, in your state before you knew Jesus. So what Paul would say is, here's your part. I don't want you to offer yourselves or give of yourselves to something that is not of God. I don't want you to offer yourselves as a weapon for wickedness. Or I don't want you to offer yourselves as a weapon for habitual sin. 
That's what I don't want you to do. And he says that that is your part in the process of this whole transformation. Now, on the contrary, what does he say? He says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of weakness, but rather offer yourselves to God, who has brought you from death to life, right? And offer every part of you, uh, uh, yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So he says, don't offer your, your, yourself as this weapon of sin, but offer yourself as a weapon for righteous living. And, and, and basically he's saying this, that you have to yield yourself to God. And it's a self-surrender that starts at the time when you become that new creation. And it's that passing of death to life. And that you offer yourself to God, it means this, that you are at God's disposal for his plans and his purposes to work and will in your life. That when you're at the disposal of God, what you're saying is, is when I offer myself as an instrument, when I offer myself as this, what I'm basically saying is that God, I want you and I give you and I offer you my mind, my body, my emotions, and my will. And Lord, I give them to you and would you have your way in me and would you lead me into righteous living? Would you take my mind and would you lead me to the righteous living? Would you take my body? Would you take my emotions? I want to offer it to you and live the way you have for me. And see, really what it is, it's a, it's a mastery of, uh, of sin. Who are you going to serve? Who's going to be your master? Is it going to be sin or is it going to be God? Because you can offer yourselves as a, a, a weapon for habitual sin or you can offer yourselves to God for righteous living. So in the conclusion, here's what he says. He, he offers one more thing to you and I. In his conclusion, in this whole thing, he says this. I love it because I have it you know, underlined in my Bible here. It says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Think about that. He says there is victory over sin, and victory over sin is possible. So stop living the way you've been living. Stop doing what you're doing. You're a new creation and you've you got to continue to move forward. And th listen to this. He says you're not under the law. The law was rules. The law was regulations. The law was all these guidelines. The law cannot save you. You know what the law does? The law points out very quickly and very easily to you and I that you're a failure, and that you make mistakes. That's what the law did. And if we lived under the law, do you know it would be impossible to please God? It would be impossible to live a righteous life. But look, what does it say? We are under grace. We're under grace. We are under that thing that, that God gives to us that we don't deserve. And here's the great thing about grace. When you accept his mercy and you accept his grace, you begin to identify with his death and resurrection. And when you identify with Christ in that regard, here's what, what takes place. There's a constant flow of grace that happens in your life. And when there's a constant flow of grace given to you, there's a constant flow of grace that flows out of you. And so your life begins to, to shape under that grace. And what happens is it gives you the strength 
to say no to temptations. It gives you the strength to say no to the ungodliness. It gives you strength to say no to worldly passions. And you begin to live a God-centered life. And God begins to take you through this process that he has for you. See, and this, this is really when you, when you begin to think about it. Sin is in our life, and the power of sin yet is rendered useless. It has no authority over us. But here's the thing. Just because it's rendered useless or it's rendered inactive, we still fail and we still make mistakes, don't we? And that's why it's so key for God to take us, not just a one-time transformation of our life, bringing the old to the new, but it's this process that he takes us through. Because he knows that even though it's rendered useless, we're still going to make mistakes and we're still going to fail. So what we have to do is this. Really simple. you got to pack the past and yield the new. Pack the past, yield the new. And basically, you have got to say that I'm no longer going to live the way I lived before Christ was in my life. And that I have to, what Paul says, is, is take part, be a participant in this process. And what I need to do is I need to offer myself as an instrument of righteousness. Well, and if you're going to offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness, then there's going to have to be some change in your life and there's going to have to be change in my life. And so here's where you, you want to change and here's kind of the things we want to change. And the first thing is this. You know what you have to change? You have to change your mind. Because here's what Paul knows. That just like your heart, there's a lot of things that go through your mind and are centered in your mind. The things you say, good or bad, you think about before you say it, don't you? Most of the time. And so, what Paul would say down in Romans and later in, verse, in chapter 12, and you've heard this, he says this, the mind is so important that he says, do not conform right to the pattern, to the way, the lifestyles, the things of the world. Do not think like everyone thinks. Do not respond like everybody thinks. I want you to be different. He says, do not conform to that shape. Do not be put yourself in with everybody else. Don't live like that. But what does he say? He says, I want you to transform your mind. I want you to transform your mind. You transform your mind, you transform your life. And when you think about the mind, he says, I want you to think differently in the whole terms of the mind. And yeah, you know, we got things that come out of what we think about what we say. But you also know this, that there are people who willfully sin and we don't willfully sin. That we choose to actually do stuff that is contrary to God. And there's sometimes where we just make mistakes and, and we didn't mean to do it. But think about this. If you willfully sin, right, in your mind, you know what is right and you know what is wrong. And yet you still do what is wrong. But think about it. Before you made that action to do what is wrong, what happened? You thought about it. It was birthed in your mind. So he says, if you want to be transformed and you want to offer yourselves, 
Your mind must come first. The second thing is this, your eyes. You must transform your eyes. Now you're thinking, eyes, well, what, what is this? Now, just bear with me here for a second. 20 years ago, sociologists said this, that the average young person by the age of 21, this, is going to have over 300 or see 300,000 commercial messages. Their eyes are going to pick up 300,000 messages, subliminal or not. That was 20 years ago. Think about what our kids today and the messages they see with their eyes. I can guarantee you it's over 300,000 by the age of 21. From the internet to their phones to whatever. The subliminal messages or just the out open in front messages that they're trying to reach our kids with. Now, I say all that because our eyes are important. Because when you see something, you want something. And it doesn't matter if it happened 20 years ago. It doesn't matter if it happened in Bible times. It doesn't matter if it happens today. Here's the goal, what happens with your eyes. You know what the goal is? Personal gratification. If I see it, I want it. And a lot of times with us and a lot of times with our kids, the things we see are not the things of God. The things we want are counterfeits of God. And if you go back all the way to Joshua, this guy by the name of Achan, he, he defeats Jericho and he's going to go into a, a new battle. And Achan, what does it say? Achan sees the beauty and the riches of the, the plunder that they just defeated this city. And what does he do? He wants it and he gets it. Because it was his eyes and it was, he was not content. It was personal gratification. I want this. I need this. And that's what we're, we are. That's where our kids are. That's where we are. If we see it, we want it. And it, a lot of times it's counterfeit. And what happened to Achan was he was defeated. And what John would say is this, that you don't want any of that. You don't want any of that because the lust of the, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of your will, and the pride of life all come from the world, and they all come from worldly desires. And that's what we're dealing with. And Paul says you need to transform your eyes and be content and not counterfeit and want personal gratification for yourself, but what God has for you. And the third thing is this. It's your tongue. And I don't have to say a lot on tongue because we all know that we have a hard time controlling our tongue, don't we? We all know that. We all have that issue. And, and I think for most of us, we can go back to a point in our lives where our tongues got us into trouble, and our tongues burned us. And also our tongues led to regret. But here's what I just want to say with your tongue. What are you saying? Are you edifying or are you tearing down? Are you gossiping or building up? Are you lying or are you telling the truth? Are you being honest? Do you know the greatest thing if you offer yourself up as a tongue to the, your tongue to the Lord and for righteous living? Do you know what the greatest thing that comes from your tongue? Two things, I think. Praise to your Heavenly Father. And second of all, telling somebody about Jesus. Your tongue can be used for the glory of God by reaching someone for Jesus. Someone else can become that new creation. So we have to be mindful of what we're saying. And the reason why I say all this is because of this. 
We are in a spiritual warfare, and you know that. There's an ongoing battle within ourselves, an ongoing battle with sin in each and every one of us, and it rages on. It rages inside each and every one of us. And God wants to lead you, and God wants to direct you, and God wants to bring you to a trans- transformation. He wants you to live a transformed life. But here's what you got to understand. you got to embrace the truth. Two things, and, and I'm, I'm almost done. One is this. you got to stop making excuses. You know what some people say? Well, I've always been this way, and I, my mom was this way, my dad was this way, I'm this way, and it's going to be like that forever. No, it's not, and it doesn't have to be. Just because your mom was or your dad was, oh, it's in our genes and our generation. Well, don't you think God can break your genes? And don't you think God can break generational stuff over your life? Absolutely. So stop saying that it's always going to be that way. Because what you're telling God is, God, I understand that you have a process for me. I understand you want me to live transformationally. But you know what? I'm just going to continue to do what I want to do. God says, no, stop doing that because I've got great plans for your life. God is bigger than that, and he wants to do something great in that. It's not always have to, you don't always have to live that way. Second thing is this, don't get discouraged. Because you're going to make mistakes, and I'm going to make mistakes. And so when we think we're, just, we're supposed to be dead to sin, and we live a life pleasing to the Lord, and all of a sudden we go, man, I just messed up. I'm just, I'm just not worthy. I'm not good enough. I just can't do this anymore. And it's as if spiritually you just lay flat on the ground and you're down there and you, you just are defeated. Pick yourself up. You're going to make mistakes, but there's a God who forgives us. There's a God of, God of second chances. He picks you up, he dusts you off and says, continue to move. Continue to move forward. Don't be discouraged and don't let always be that way. Because God wants his best for your life. God wants the best for your life. Think about it. A coach, right? Anybody who loves you, anybody who cares about you is going to push you. You know what a coach does for his athletes? He does what? He pushes them, right? If an employer, if they want something good out of their employee, they give them incentives. They give them bonuses. They push them to do their best. God wants to push you to do your best. He has a great process for you ahead of time. Get Listen God's objective is to make you more like Jesus Christ. That's his goal. His objective is to make you more like Jesus Christ. Look, we come to this place and we get to participate in this whole process. Not because we're directed to or not because we have to. The reason why we get to participate in this process is this. Because we've been liberated by grace. We've been liberated from our sins, that we don't have to live the way we once lived, and that we can move into what God has for our lives. Because look, God is not content with where you are, and he's not content with who you are. He's more concerned about who you're becoming and where you're going. And if he didn't love you enough to be concerned about that, he would just let you go and do whatever you want but he's willing to take you through a process to make you more and more like Jesus. And that we should live out in each and day of our every lives, that God has transformed us. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I just, I just can't say enough about what you did for us. Lord, you didn't have to, but you chose to send Jesus to die for us. 
you chose to, to make a right relationship with us. And Lord, for us in here, there are some of us in here, God, who have been, if we were open and honest with you right now, Lord, for the person in here who says, man, God, I just, it's always been that way. It'll always be that way. Lord, would you just speak to them by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you just touch them and transform them into what you want them to be? Lord, and those of us, Lord, who just need our, our bodies and our members of our bodies to be shaped and molded and used for you. Lord, if any of us in here would say, man, God, I just have not been living the way you want me to live. Would you just change us now by the power of your Holy Spirit? And Lord, when we go out these doors, that the things that we would be known for is we'd be known for God radically transforming our lives the way you transformed Paul. And Lord, when we go out throughout our week, that this would just pour out into our work and when with our families at Thanksgiving and all this, these other places, that what people would see is the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, may that just draw people to you and draw people to your son Jesus. We want to be a church that does that. So Holy Spirit, work in will to your good pleasure and to your purposes in each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.